Welcome to episode 98 of the Thunder Underground podcast. My name is Trent and I'm joined by Jason. Hello, hello. We've got a great one this week. We've got Chris Green on this podcast. Yes, uh, guitarist extraordinaire. Yeah, extraordinaire virtuoso is a good word to yes, throw around here too. definitely. Yeah, Chris Green's a solo guitarist. <coughs> he's also, I say solo guitarist because he's got a new solo EP, his first. He's also in the band Taiketo. He's in the band Rubicon Cross. He's been in Furion. This guy is, when you think of, holy crap, that guy's badass, this guy is on that list. Definitely, definitely. He's got a, a new EP out, instrumental uh, guitar uh, solo offering called Unveil, uh, and it's a face melter. Definitely. you got to check this out. We're going to get into that here in just a bit. Yeah. Before we do, we're getting inching closer to that illustrious number 100 yes and we've got we've got a good one planned for that one i think and we'll you'll hear that here in the next couple weeks of course but here we are at 98 there's a there's a great night flight orchestra song called 1998 really if you people don't know it why did you say really you know that song well it's, it's on the first album yeah but you know me i just put in a cd and, right. and li- i i don't i don't pay attention to stuff i just okay. listen to it sorry if you're not a fan of Night Flight <laughs> Orchestra, do yourself a favor and become one. Exactly. They are as good as it gets. They've got two albums out. Okay, that was a total tangent. I don't know where it came from. But. That's what we do, man. <laughs> we do tangents. We get we get off on shit real quick. Right. Well, speaking of tangents, you see this story a couple of days ago, or a few days ago, that Phil Lewis quits LA Guns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, who, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is like the greatest story in like recent times. Like, here's a press release because I'm quitting LA Guns to join LA Guns. Yeah, I know. I mean, dude, they, I, dude, don't get me started. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a band I never really, I, I mean, I could probably tell you two LA Guns songs. You're more of an LA Guns guy than me. And sometimes these bands go split off and do different. I don't know. It gets a little silly. But I guess it's a legality thing. It, yeah, it, it is. I it's just wanted thing. to bring it up because it's, cause it's just funny because you never see that, you know, like a press release about leaving a band. And he doesn't name that that's the band he's going to. But, you know, everybody knew that's what he was talking about. Yeah. And then the news came out like two days later that that's what it was. Anyway, <laughs> you know, for those of you who don't know, they're one of those bands that had two versions out there. And <laughs> he quit the version he was in so he could go play with Tracy Guns again, basically. Yeah. I don't know if, if they can call it LA Guns or not, but it won't matter because they'll draw more than the other one. That's right. With those two guys together. Exactly. So. Yeah, it, 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 it all gets a little weird. But, you know, as the world turns, as the rock world turns. Yeah. <laughs> well... Let's just get back on the topic at hand. Yes, why not? We don't have a lot of stuff we're going to ramble about this week <laughs> because we want to play some music for you. And of course, the music's going to be from Chris Green. And like Jason said, he's got this new EP out called Unveil. It actually came out just this past week, last Friday. So now what you need to do is go to Amazon or um, iTunes, download the thing, or go on chrisgreenmusic.com and buy the thing. And if you buy it, it comes autographed. I think it's shipped for what was it, nine bucks or something. Yes, yes. I, I like I said, I got mine, uh, ordered mine, so uh, signed, and I uh, can't wait for it to show up on the doorstep. Yeah, there's five songs on this thing, and they're all great. Yes, instrumental guitar work, but they all have a little bit, you know, different 
different feel to them, which is great. And we'll get into that here in a bit, but let's just get right into this song. This is the title track, Unbell. <laughs>
you go, Unveil from Chris Green off his EP of the same name. That thing just right out the gate. Epic guitar playing straight through this thing. I love how anytime you hear songs like this, your mind, you know, you instantly are drawn to that guitar because that's yeah. what's on showcase. But I love how the rhythm under it has a real melodic sense, you know, sound to it. And that kind of takes this thing in a couple different directions. And it's just, you know, I don't play guitar, but I can obviously hear this and know that this is freaking amazing. It's like you mentioned when you're listening to it, it kind of had a Chris Broderick feel at times, you know, and that's cool as hell because we're both big yeah. fans of his. So anyway, as a guitarist, what did you hear the first time you hit play on this? Uh, I really, what I, think, I mean, yeah, what I enjoyed about the, these five songs, um, one, it, it's, this EP is, it's a great collection of just showing you everything that Chris Green is capable of, uh, you know, to the, to the, you know, to the umpteenth degree. Uh, he just showcases everything and puts it all out there. And two, you know, you, and, and maybe most importantly, I mean, it's most importantly to me, you know, every song just, you know, you see it paints a picture, you know, every, you know, every song has a different color or, you know, uh, it, it, it evokes a feeling, right. <clears throat> you know, and each one does that in a different way. And, and that's how, you know, you got something, you know, you can play a million notes. That's great. But when you can do that and tap into, you know, the soul or the emotion or the feeling, um, that's, that's money. That's what you're going for. And, uh, Chris Green does that, uh, splendidly. Yeah. Well, not only with this, this EP, like we talked about earlier and you hear about in this interview, he's also in Taiketo. Yes. And in a band called Rubicon Cross. And both these, uh, Taiketo's album just came out in October. Rubicon Cross has been out a couple of years. But I highly suggest anyone that's a fan of hard rock go check out both these albums as well. Definitely. They're, both different from each other, you know. Of course, you know Taiketo. They're more along the the AOR kind of hard rock vein. Mm -hmm. And then Rubicon Cross has CJ Snare from Firehouse. Yes, which we all know from the heyday of glam. But this is a a bit heavier than what people would know from Firehouse. And it is. Chris Green obviously helps take it to that point. And it's with CJ's vocals over it. I mean, that album is just balls out from start to finish. You know, just hard rock and just the stuff that I have always grasped, you know, gravitated to since I was a kid. Yeah, definitely. And, 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 and I was glad to hear that they're uh, maybe, you know, getting together and working on some new stuff. That was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got, he's got that going and then Taiketo is going out on tour in January in Europe. So if you're out there, get out there and see this guy play, see the whole, you know, see Taiketo. Can't imagine that, you know, I, that's one of the bands from that era I never got a chance to see live. Yeah. And, you know, I'd love to, you know, especially after hearing this newest album. I think, you know, with all the stuff he's got going on, it's really cool to see a guy like this tap into a few different things. And they're all, they're all in that melodic vein, but they're all, they're all different from they're each all, other. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's a, there's a common thread, but there's also, they've also got, you know, their own identities. Right. Uh, and, and, and he's doing it flawlessly. Yeah. Well, we mentioned his website is chrisgreenmusic.com. Our website is thethunderunderground.com. We've got all our previous podcasts on there. If you're, if this is your first time listening, we appreciate it. And I think let's just get right into this now.
because we got a nice lengthy chat here with Chris Green. solo ep just dropped a couple days ago both of us checked it out it's really good stuff and really enjoying it and how i mean how does it feel to finally get this thing out it's um it's been such a long time coming for this thing it was um i probably beat death leopard with you know how long you can possibly wait to make an album <laughs> this thing uh it feels great that it's finally out and it's being well received and and thank thank you very much for the the kind words about it as well. It's um, it's always more of a gamble when you're doing these things completely by yourself because, um, you know, when a band releases an album, there's this kind of like camaraderie of like, you know, if you don't like this, then whatever, we don't care. We're a band of brothers sort of thing, but you're really out there on your own when you do something like this. <laughs> so it's kind of like throwing myself to the mercy of everybody. Well, uh, you know, you said it took, it took you some time. That was kind of one of our questions. You know, if it if it came together quickly or over time, was it just kind of, you know, you'd work on it in between other projects or, you know, uh, that kind of thing? It was, um, the, the, let me try, how, how can I accurately answer that one? Um, the, the easiest part of it was actually the writing. Uh, all of that came together quite quickly because the the style that I was moving towards, you know, as I was slowly coming up with ideas, was was quite a progressive um, way of writing. And and I'd been in like progressive rock bands when I was younger, and uh, it was kind of just like tapping back into that. Really, I mean, there's um, there's no vocal theme, you know, there's no lyrical content, so it's very easy to just move into different musical passages. And if you guys have listened to the whole EP, you know there's a track like Once Forgotten, where it's pretty much like a storyboard song where um, it just, it, it, you know, it moves into completely different sections continuously throughout the track. So there's no repeated sections really in the, in, in the song, um, you know, much like, a, like, a, like an actual story. So that was, it was kind of easy because I would be able to put put it down and then come back to it. And it was just like, it was kind of like one of those um, things you do as a kid when you draw on a piece of paper and you draw like a head and then fold it over and someone else would draw a neck and fold it over and, you know, and see what it looks like at the end of it. And, the, you know, some of the tracks were a bit like that, really. <laughs> but when it came to the recording, um, things kind of slowed down a bit. It was... Um, it was a lot more demanding in the studio than I was expecting, you know, because when you when you record a solo for a normal album, say with Taiketo or Rubicon Cross, you um you know, you only have to do like one or two solos a day and you mix it in between all of the other playing. But when you're continuously playing this kind of guitar, you know, your fingers start wearing out quite quickly and they they were just it, it, it was it was like carnage after the first couple of days and I thought I don't know how I'm going to get through this you know I'm trying everything from liquid skin to you know all of the uh, old wives tales about how you can you know firm up calluses and all this kind of stuff so um, 
it, 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 we, we had to uh, reschedule on a couple of times and um, really the, the whole body of why it took so many years is because after the first mixes, it wasn't coming together how I wanted it. For some reason, I couldn't put my finger on it. It just wasn't sounding right. And I got really discouraged and I literally just told the engineer and the producer let's just leave this for the moment and I left it for like three years and the engineer finally got back to me and said why is it why did you leave it you know why don't we why don't we get back to this and I was still at that point I was still a little no no I'm not really that bothered about it and he kind of took it on himself to to do a mix of one of the tracks and when it came back it was just, it was like a like a lightning bolt. All of a sudden, I was just really back into it again, and I had exactly the same enthusiasm as when I first started it. So, um, for whatever reason, that's why it took so long. There was literally three years in the middle that I wouldn't even listen to the mixes. So, <laughs> well, well, maybe that maybe that time helped, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I believe it did because now you know I can actually play it again now. You know, before I would. You know, I'm I'm my own worst critic. I'll be the first person to admit that as well. And being in the studio with me when when mixing is occurring is I I really just don't envy the people that have to work with me <laughs> in that, that situation. You know, because I'm always like, yeah, go back. Yeah, can you turn it up a fraction? Uh, no, turn it back down again. Um, I don't know. Let's try something completely different. <laughs> you know, I'm just. I can be all over the place. So, uh, yeah, it probably did help for me to get back into it. Well, did any of those songs take a completely different turn after you came back to them? Well, um, no, I'd, I, I kept the structures pretty much the same. In fact, the, the track Unveil, we ended up actually using the whole lead guitar line from the demo because I was... You know, sometimes when you record, there's just a vibe that you capture. And um, producers call this whole thing demoitis, which is when you, you, you get so involved with what you've done in the demo that you almost create an impossible task for yourself when it comes to recording the actual album. And you can see it on producers' faces when you go in the studio and you start talking about demos. Their, their eyes just roll roll into the back of their heads because they know what's coming next. And um, in the end, you know, we had a crack at the unveil lead lines, and and we both just agreed. It's like it's just not sounding the same. It's not sounding as good as it was when you demoed it. So we literally just took the um, the whole lead track. You know, I was very careful that I did all of the tracks to the same tempos. So I'd be able to use things like string sections and stuff like that. So um, it just slotted in there and, and all of a sudden the spark was back in the song. Um, so, yeah, no, no real structure changes. The producer did force me out of my comfort zone and make me improvise on a few of the tracks. You know, I'm, I'm a very meticulous player and I like things very worked out. And when someone drags me out of that, you know, I start to cower in the corner a little bit so um yeah i still don't like doing it but i did it anyway and I, I have to admit the stuff that we came out with when we we're doing some of that improvising was um was was very interesting and it, it 
and it, it actually kind of forced me into a new way of thinking when I'm when I've been writing subsequently. Like the last Taikata record, when we did the solos for that, I just kind of winged it. I, you know, I'd like hit record, and I would just record about eight different solos. And you know, every now and again, you just come up with something on the spot that you just you wouldn't do if you were just sitting down trying to work everything out. Um, so that's really the only changes from the originals. As far as like the drums and bass go on the the EP, did you write that stuff yourself after? Or did you bring in musicians to write the tracks for you or help finish the tracks? I mean, uh, the the bass player, my one of my closest friends, Simon Farmery, he was in um, Pride and and type, uh, in uh, Rubicon Cross and Furion. He was in all of those bands with me. We're, he's from England, but also emigrated to um, America. So we, he was meant to be the guy playing bass on it because it's, as you heard, you know, some of it's quite demanding. There's a lot of um, time changes and uh, tempo changes. There's a lot of notes in there. But we just couldn't get our schedules together. And um, so I ended up playing the bass on it, which I really would rather have not done. I'm a real believer that, like, fingers, bass players, they just have a, a, a just a really good sound about them the good ones anyway <laughs> but uh the drums i actually got um a guy called uh, garrett whitlock who is the drummer in tremonti yeah oh wow yeah and uh he was living just around the corner from me at the time so he, he, we were both very close to stone mountain where we recorded at rick's studios um and he was amazing i mean he is it's very rare that you get a drummer that is a, a hard hitter, but also extremely technically proficient. And Garrett has all of that stuff in spades. I mean, it was really, really impressive. If he still lived in this area, I would probably be bugging him about taking this out live. <laughs> Do you have any plans to take it out live? It's, um, I, I would really like to do it. It's... um. When I first wrote it, I did, I wasn't thinking about that at all. I was just thinking about getting it out and expressing myself. Um, after the recording process, I realized that if I was going to take this out live, I would really, really have to get my shit together because it was, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of notes. It's a lot to remember. And uh, if someone loses, if anyone loses their place, it's kind of like, uh-oh, you know, how do we get back into this again? So, um I'm not, I'm, I don't, you know, claim to be a, uh, you know, a, a dream theatre, <laughs> know it all kind of character. I wish I had that kind of brain capacity, you know, capacity for notes. So um, if I can find the right musicians, then yeah, I think I would like to take it out live. It's just um, where I live here in Atlanta, um, I don't know those kind of musicians. And it really is the kind of thing that you'd have to really rehearse you know so I, I i wouldn't want to just fly in somewhere try and rehearse it and then go and play a show I'd, I'd really want to live live with these tracks with the musicians for a while so if that happens then yes cool something i've always kind of wondered is how do you uh when you write an instrumental song how do you name it or how do you come up with a name to go with what you created it's a good question. Do you know what? No one's actually asked me that before. Um, let me see. 
Do you know what? It's probably, I, I find it reasonably easy because during the uh, songwriting process for any of the, the bands that I've um, been in and written in, I am continuously coming up with uh, just bizarre or stupid names during the writing process when there's no lyrics on it. So if you saw some of the tracks from the Taiketo record, some of them were called Stripper or uh, <laughs> you know, Peanuts or just, you know, just ridiculous names or, you know, Thundering Octopus or something like that. Um, Still Panther <laughs> song names. Right. So uh, coming up with the names was reasonably easy. The reason Once Forgotten is called that is because I wrote the entire track which is the most technical track I've ever written, and then completely forgot about it. <laughs> and I was when I was trying to pick songs out, I was like, oh, man, I really need something that's just like, oh, you know. And I was racking my brains thinking, I'm sure I wrote something. And I just came across this track that was called Solo Prog Tune and played it. And I was like, it was like a six-minute epic progressive tune, and I couldn't remember writing a single note of it. Um, so I don't know what happened, whether it was just some, you know, where I was in some bizarre trance when I wrote the thing. or I think what it must be is because I think I wrote it when I was on a plane on the way to America. And um, I probably, like, just, like, drank too much red wine and got into my headphones on the laptop and wrote the tune and then woke up and, <laughs> and forgot about it <laughs> so uh, that's that's where that one was named unveil because it was the uh it was the first track i wrote and so i thought you know it was you know i guess the pompous way of saying you know the unveiling of me as a solo musician uh undefeated because that was very much about my father um, and very much about his attitude, you know, you know, before he died, he was just of that, that kind of character that he would just never let anything get to him. And, uh, you know, he went through cancer twice and alcoholism and a bunch of other horrible challenges in life. And, uh, so that's where that one came from. And the the reason one's called Remember it's because after that problem we've once forgotten, I swore I'd never forget a track again. So I <laughs> deliberately named that one Remember so that I remember it. Um, and Welcome for a Soldier was already named because it's, uh, it's a cover of one of my father's uh, 70s prog rock band. Um, it's like a 1971 prog band called Deep Feeling. And I did uh, uh, basically an instrumental version of the opening track on the Guillotine album. Nice. Well, and, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. That goes to my next question was, uh, that song really stood out to me. I think, I thought it went through every emotion a soldier could go through in, in his career. Right. Um, you know, majestic and sad, dangerous, victorious. Yeah. Uh, that was one I, I really dug that one. Oh, I'm really glad, man. I mean, that was, um, when, when I, when I first had a go at doing that and it was, it was really soon after dad died. And I, it's weird when you listen to a track that's got lyrics in it, and then you try and do an instrumental version of it. If the if the lyrics are already very meaningful, you, you're aware that you have to try and put that emotion across with the instrument, you know, because there's no lyrics anymore to you know to tell the story. Um, 
And so what I did is I tried a few different techniques. I used an Ebo. I'm not sure if you know what an Ebo is. Yes. Yeah, so I used one of those uh, to try and create a much more vocal sound. You know, it actually came out it actually came out kind of sounding more like a kind of Steve Vai kind of um, sound. Mm-hmm. Um, which wasn't deliberate. It's just really the nature of how those Ebos sound, you know. Yeah. Um, and the midsections, I, I, I deliberately made really eerie. If you, if you heard the original that my, that my dad's band did, the whole midsection where there's all those real weird swirling noises um, was actually all a cappella vocals with them sit. Uh, it was like a, um, like a monastery chant. Um, and it, it was really eerie. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna create loads of strange noises and make it really mysterious, you know, and, and like you say, a bit creepy. But I love it the way it all comes back round again to the really chirpy part of the song, and then it has this whole departure at the end of it. Um, so it, it, I, lo- I like that you like that one, man, because it's uh, instrumental music. I think is a really wonderful thing. It, it's really it's where music started. You know, we didn't all just like burst into song and start <laughs> singing lyrics about dinosaurs or something around a campfire. You know, it was the, it was it was all about just the notes and how how you can move people with that you know classical i love classical music and and that's had a big influence in in the right my writing i love the way you can you know have movements um you know to create emotion invoke emotion and um if you can do that without using lyrics i think that's quite a wonderful thing yeah yeah that's definitely something to tap into reach by taiketto has been out now about a month and a half or two great album as well and you kind of alluded to that with writing solos and i was curious if that was kind of what you did with taiketo or if you came in and you helped with the riffs as well and the song structure or if you're just strictly on the solos no i was a really big part of the writing on that album um it was i i can tell you now that that was the most bizarre writing process that i've ever been involved in we we still laugh and cry about it um, at the moment, it was uh, most people, most bands, you know, the drummer's not usually like heavily involved in the writing process. Um, so we did, we tried some very backward things. And Mike, the drummer, there was times when he would just go downstairs into his basement and record himself playing drums for like 15 minutes. And then he would send me, you know, it was just like loads of different drum beats and him just going mad. It actually kind of sounded like, you know, Animal from the Muppets, basically <laughs> just someone going crazy on the drums for about 15 minutes. And um, he'd send me those drums and then I would literally just chop them apart and uh, put them put them on my MP3 player and listen to them in the car. And I would write riffs in my head over some of these drum beats and... I'd then send the riffs back to him. He would then come up with a more solid drum beat. It would go back to me again. It would, and it would go like backwards and forwards like 20 times before Danny would even get the song. Then Danny would like maybe change the arrangement a bit. The vocals would go on. The key might change. Tempo might change. And some of these songs literally took weeks to come together. <laughs> and some of them, 
were really quick. They were old-fashioned, <clears throat> old-fashioned process where Danny would send us a um, an acoustic and a vocal, and we would have to create a rock song. You know, one of the tracks, the actual the title track, Reach, was actually a, a like a, a ballad, and uh, he just sent himself and an acoustic guitar. And when we sent it back to him, it was this huge opus, and he was like, "What the fuck have you done to my song?" <laughs> <laughs> but but it just worked, you know. And some and, and the the thing that I love about Taikato is that it, we we respect everyone's ideas and we we let them run with it. If they've got an idea, it's like, "All right, go on then, do your thing, and we'll see how it turns out." And and rarely. Did we write something where it just didn't work? Um, there, were, there wasn't like a huge amount of songs left over at the end of that. We used almost everything. And if we didn't use it, it's because we didn't have time to work on it. But every single song that we demoed went on the album. So it was... Um, yeah, it was interesting. Very interesting process, but I was a, I was a huge part of the writing. Yeah, I mean, uh, letting go. Uh, I basically wrote the entire music track and uh, and just sent it to Danny, and he put lyrics over it. That one came together really quickly. Um, yeah, riffs and stuff. Me and Mike's mad creations in our basements. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Well, um, how did, how did you get hooked up with Taiketo guys? In uh, two thousand and three. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe it was before 2003. Let me try and... Okay, what, what I do know is in 2003, my, the band I was in at the time was called Pride. They were a melodic rock band in England. And um, we scored a tour supporting Firehouse. That's when I first met CJ. Nice. Um, so it was us. And Danny's solo band, Vaughan, were the um, main support. So it was Firehouse, Vaughan, and Pride. Um, and so I, I had known Danny previously to that. We, he'd stayed at my house, and uh, I had got up at one of these festivals in England, and Pride, without the vocalist, backed him to play a couple of songs, like Forever Young and Strength in Numbers or something like that, you know, because he would do an acoustic set, and then the surprise to the fans were the whole band would suddenly come on stage right at the end and they'd get the full versions of the tracks that they love. <laughs> so we did that. Me and Danny stayed friends. And um, after that 2003 tour, you know, the friendship solidified a lot more. And he'd always said, oh, I'd love to see what would happen if me and you wrote together, you know, because he liked my my style of writing within Pride. And it just never really happened. And he, it, I, got, I got a call out of nowhere. Um in I think like October or November 2013 and he just said hey man hope you're doing well how would you feel about joining Taiketo just really pretty much that blunt he was like he, he was like oh, I know you're busy but you know if you'd consider it that'd be great and it, it was really humble and I was and it, it was at a time where I, I just had to leave Fury on because um the logistics of me traveling back to England all the time for shows just wasn't, you know, it, it, was, it was a logistical nightmare. So I actually, for, for probably for the first time in, in a decade or more, I found myself bandless. And so I was just like, yeah, great, let's do it. 
he was like, cool, I'll get you in an email with Mike and let's make it happen. You know, it wasn't like an audition process. As far as I know, I don't think they even asked anybody else. That's what they said. There's probably like 10 guitar players out there going, well, that's what you think, but you're a number like 15 on the list. <laughs> but it worked. It was a really good fit. And, the, and the, the greatest compliment really that I get is that when people see us live, they say that I, I, that I really fit in with that band and that it seems like it was a, a very natural insertion, you know, to the, to, the, to the band. And it feels like that on stage too. It feels very comfortable. Well, a lot of your stuff, like Furion and Ruby on Cross and your solo work, you know, has more of a heavy edge than Taiketo does. So yeah. when you came into that mix, like how it wasn't like something you had to adapt to, like you felt it natural as well? Yeah, I mean, the, the bands that I'd been in prior to uh, Furion were were all of that kind of like cock rock, oh, <laughs> you know, as I call it, you know, <laughs> like that, that genre you know, uh, bubblegum ballads and, um, you know, smiling while you're on stage, for God's sakes, you know, like <laughs> something that just, you know. And I thought, this would be nice. I don't have to grimace anymore. I can actually, like, smile at someone in the crowd because I'm actually enjoying myself. <laughs> um, so it was, it was, it, it, was um, it was actually really easy. I always found that type of music just very, just, I mean, it just feels really good to play it. You know, I mean, you know, when you listen to that kind of music, it just it, it, it makes you smile a lot more than, you know, I mean, I don't put on Slayer and sit there with my headphones on smiling, thinking, oh, this is so lovely. You know, it's, it's exactly what I need on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> um, you know, whereas you put on, put on Bon Jovi and you're like, there you go. It's like putting on your favorite sweater. <laughs> you know, it's just comfortable. Yeah, it's it's feel good music. It's called that for a reason. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so it, it was it was quite easy um i i find it an easy style to play and um surprisingly i find it quite an easy style to write as well i think they were a little worried actually because they were they, the guys in Taikato were aware of you know the style that i was into and i am into much heavier music like the if if someone said you know what do you listen to when you're in the gym or something I mainly listen to Mastodon, Tool, Opeth, um, Baroness, The Sword. It's all stoner meets um, progressive meets heavy music. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think they were a little worried that I was going to come out with some, like, drop B tuning <laughs> <laughs> riffs. Funny enough, the last track on the album is actually drop B. It's actually like the same tuning as uh, as like Black Label Society, but it's just not played in a way that makes it sound like that. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a nightmare in the studio, actually. Tuning down to those kind of uh, tunings is, you know, the, the guitar strings are like like telephone wires. Yeah, yeah they get pretty loose. <laughs> <laughs> really loose. <laughs> well, we've, we've talked about writing with Taiketo and with your your EP, like how was writing with CJ and Rubicon Cross? Like how did you guys mesh when you started? That was, um, I really enjoyed those writing sessions actually, because it was, that was the birth of me becoming or getting Americanized, I suppose, you know, um, I had, um, 
I'd, I'd stayed in America a few times before with people, but when me and CJ first met on that 2003 tour and he said, I really would like you to do a, um, to play on my solo album. And originally he wanted to write with me, but it was going to be called CJ Snare or the CJ Snare Project or something. And after the first few writing sessions, you know, he flew to my place in Brighton and I would fly out to his place in Wisconsin and we'd, we'd stay in this, lovely house you know with a grand piano and you know and it would be snowing and i was like this is what i want this is the, you know i'm sitting there in england and it's cold and gray and miserable and everyone seems miserable because it's miserable <laughs> and, um, and i'm like this is more like it you know and i found that whenever i'd go over to his place I'd, I'd write all of the really nice songs because I felt all cosy again, you know, like in this like great place, the fire's on, it's roaring, there's the grand piano, let me grab my acoustic guitar and, you know, we'll sit around like the Brady Bunch and write some nice tunes or something. Um, it, it, was, uh, it was great and it was a very easy process. I guess the most difficult part about that, and we had a plethora of songs to choose from because... Again, that album took so long to come out because we were just continuously experimenting with the sound. He wanted to do something very different and something that wasn't going to be like a firehouse kind of sound, which is incredibly difficult when you're CJ Snare because yeah. your voice is so distinctive. You know, he could, if he if he if he like did a, a Sepultura cover, it would probably still sound like firehouse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we, I, I think that's why it, it started getting heavier with Rubicon Cross because it really pushed away from that firehouse kind of sound and uh, you know the tunings got lower and lower and you know he, he started kind of just morphing his voice and putting a little more growl into it and, and the more he did that the more we would experiment with songs of, of that nature um, so when I listen back to that Rubicon Cross album, it reminds me of some fantastic times in the writing process. Um, but I have to be honest, when I listen to it, it's very evident to me that the songs were written over a large period of time. You know, because I can hear the difference between a track like uh, Bleed With Me and um, Shine. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, it, it's... And I, I wonder whether when people listen to that record, whether they thought that it was a little schizophrenic, you know, that it was it was many different styles. The original album title was supposed to be um, uh, like True Diversity because it was that that's how we felt that we were during the writing process. You know, we were just going to say, look whatever, stick the middle finger up to the, uh, you know, the industry and the general public and just say, this is what we want to do. I don't care if you think some of it's heavy and some of it's light and blah, blah, blah. Um, but we are, we ended up not calling it that. So uh, there was some, yeah, there was some funny names. And the reason why it ended up being called Rubicon Cross incidentally is because, um, the more we wrote together, the more CJ was like, this isn't, this isn't a solo thing anymore. This is a band. And I want to get a band together. I want this to actually be something we can go out and do. And so that, that's why it slowly changed from the CJ Snare project into um, 
an, an actual full band. And the Rub Rubicon Cross, the reason why we named it that is because um, it's something my father used to say as well. I don't know if you know what crossing the Rubicon, I don't know if you know what that phrase means, but it basically means the, uh, the point of no return. It's when Caesar's army had to cross the Rubicon River in order to um, chase down the enemy. And uh, if they committed to crossing that river, it would mean that they were too far away from their supply chain. So they were basically committing themselves to battle, um, you know, winning or failing. You know, it was it, they just basically threw it out there. So, so the crossing of the Rubicon was always a really cool, nice phrase that I liked. So that's that. And that's why we ended up morphing it and changing it to the band name. Well, uh do you is that do you excuse me do you guys have uh, plans for another album or anything like that yeah we're meeting up in uh florida later this month nice and uh we're gonna be you know we're gonna sit down have a few beers a few cocktails <laughs> and, uh, and discuss it we definitely want to do it, it really yeah. is it's schedule time scheduling was always our worst enemy with that band firehouse continued to be a very very busy band mm -hmm. And um, ultimately, that's why we really couldn't go out live with uh, Rubicon Cross. We only did one run of shows, and we all wanted to do them. We just we just couldn't find the time, you know. Because you know, if we book a show with Rubicon Cross, you know, it's, you know, someone like Rocklahoma would suddenly come in and say we want Firehouse, and of course, you know, us playing a you know three hundred capacity room compared to Firehouse having to then cancel Rocklahoma is just not feasible, you yeah. know. Yeah. so uh yeah it was always a little difficult to schedule that but yeah do you know what we're going to talk about it and i'm sure after a few gin and tonics we'll uh we'll start writing something nice nice <laughs> we need to book a taiketo rubicon cross firehouse tour <laughs> yeah that, but yeah we, we, we talked about that actually we talked about rubicon cross going out with um firehouse so I, I just I, I think it was just it would be so demanding you know, especially for him to do two, um, yeah, two sets. We're not getting any younger, <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to sing all those really high notes. Yeah. So I don't, don't envy him. <laughs> right. Well, I noticed you've got a. There are several videos on YouTube through this e music workshop that you're doing lessons on some technical stuff. Yeah, is that a like an ongoing thing, or was that like a one-time thing? Because I noticed they're like from the past year or two. Yeah, they um the the guy that done the videos is uh, Rick Beato, the guy that produced um, my solo album and Rubicon Cross and Furion, um, and the engineer GL is the guy that did the um, the, the 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 editing on them. So it was basically the same team as, as, that I've recorded all those albums with, um, and. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of what Rick does, but he has this company called Neural, um, which is a, a really fascinating company um, about um, basically d development of uh, children's um, learning skills. And it, that's really taken over. So e-music e, um, workshop had to uh, take a back seat. But I am actually, if my wife buys me what I want her to buy me for Christmas, then, uh, you know, I should have some nice GoPros and I'm, I'm actually going to start trying to do my own videos out of, uh, out of my studio here. So it will be a continuous thing. Uh, but it, it won't be the, um, you know, the same, the same people behind it. 
Nice. <laughs> but I, I want to do it because it's it, you know I, I get a lot of requests for people to you know tell them about you know certain licks or riffs in the songs and stuff so I'll probably go over a lot of the material of the bands that I've been in with some videos as well so the, the amount of video should rack up pretty quickly yeah yeah I I, I uh, was researching and watched a lot of them in the you know the sweet pick I play and the sweet oh. picking one just, you know, it made my head spin. It was crazy. I, I, I really appreciated it. <laughs> you know what? That sweet, sweet picking is, I, I mean, it's, actually, it's something I've been into since since I started getting into technical playing. Yeah. And so when I went to uh, GIT in London, the Guitar Institute of Technology, I remember I read the pamphlet for it and and there was this section on sweet picking. And I was just mesmerized by it, you know, and I'd, I'd only really heard, let me think, who I heard? I'd heard like Paul Gilbert do it a couple of times <laughs> in, in a Mr. Big track. And I was just like, what is that? How, you know, and it like the, just the sound of it, I'm like, that's not possible. How can you do that? Like you got all the way from the bottom to the top of the guitar in about like under a second, you know, so it fascinated me. And so I've been a big big advocate of sweet picking ever since then and i love doing it it's just something that i mean i could sit there in front of the tv and just sit there running up and down those arpeggios yeah. they're just like little feel goods you know they get the endorphins <laughs> going yeah uh, so you, you nailed it man <laughs> thank you i appreciate that and, i mean people are now taking it to the absolute extremes you know you listen to, to you know dragon force and stuff like that oh, and, yeah. you know, these guys are you know they're really taking it you know as if it's like uh taking guitar licks into the octagon you know <laughs> but yeah i love playing it thanks for noticing that oh, no problem <laughs> do you do one-on-one -on -one lessons at all or uh do i do sweet picking no i just meant one-on-one -on -one lessons in oh. general with students i i don't anymore i used okay. to there is there is a there is a kid that i uh that I teach here in Atlanta. He's the only person. His name is Ben Bluestein, and he is about 12 years old. And he is a phenomenal player. Not not through my making. Uh, I I help him because I think he's going to be an incredible star when he's older. Um, he is. He just has. You, you know, as a guitar player, you know, there's just these nuances within the within famous players that are that that's what makes them so good it's not it's not the speed necessarily it's just everything it's you know it's it's their feel it's how their vibrato is the bending you know how they transition between um you know um positions on the on the fretboard and and this this kid's just got it man i mean it's it's ridiculous to watch you know he'll sit there and play steve vi pieces he'll sit there and play Guthrie Govan pieces, you know, and he's, he's not even a teenager. Wow. And, wow. And, it, and, and he's just so humble about it. You know, he'd be like, do you want to play that song? He's like, mm, yeah, okay. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's, just, it's like he's being asked to mow the lawn or something. You know, just, I'm like, come on, man, get some fire going on. You've got all this playing. Um, <laughs> but I taught for 15 years in, in England. I taught at um, okay. schools across the country. So I was, I was very, very used to that, um, that process. And um, it's, it's at this point, it's not something I'll be going back into. But I, I like the idea of the video thing. Like, no one can answer back. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, you've mentioned Steve Vai a couple of times and a couple of nights in a couple of nights we're going to see the Passion Warfare tour here in Tulsa. And I noticed on Facebook you had saw it this past week. Yeah, so what were your thoughts or how was the show? Initially my first thought was breaking my fingers <laughs> and starting a new career. <laughs> it was uh it was ridiculously good. Yeah. I'd seen him, I'd, I'd seen him do you know what I saw him when he played in White Snake. That's the first time I ever saw him. Wow. Oh nice. Um, yeah. That was uh that was pretty mesmerizing, actually. What because he was—I mean, he really just had the part down. He looked exactly like Jack Butler in Crossroads, you know, in that era. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the next time I saw him, I saw him in England, and I, I've got to tell you that that one performance in England that I saw him on, um, he was playing this track. I forget the name of the track, and uh, it was just—it just really started like moving me. And I can't, I, for a moment, I took my eyes off the stage and I looked around and there was like people in the crowd around me, like, like tearing up, you know, and like wiping their eyes and stuff. And it was this, and he finished the song and there was this rupture of surprise and then it went quiet and he just stepped up to the microphone and he went, wow, did you guys feel that as well? And it was weird. It was like this whole thing in this room. I can't even explain it, you know, but it was just this you know artist giving to the crowd and the and the crowd giving back i know that sounds really hippie and and yeah. weird but it was it totally happened and it was bizarre it never happened to me at a concert before that's why I, as soon as i heard that he was doing this passion and warfare thing i was like i'm going there's no question yeah and um <laughs> i actually took my wife along with me because i was like you need to see this and she sat there on Facebook on her phone, you know, I stood in front of her so no one on the stage could see her using her phone. <laughs> so I don't think she appreciated it as much as me, but it was amazing and I can absolutely guarantee you're going to have a great time. Nice, nice. Awesome. <laughs> He's actually doing a raffle. Uh, there's a guitar that he is slowly uh, painting, you know, noodling on with a Sharpie. Well, one of his, um, you know, um, seven, uh, what is it there? Gem 7V. Mm-hmm. It's up in the merch booth, and you can buy raffle tickets for it. You know, and the, all the money's going to go to a charity, so uh, that's cool as well. I bought a ticket. Don't buy tickets; it, it means I don't. My chance okay, <laughs> we won't. We won't. <laughs> well, man, we appreciate your time. Oh no, thank you very much for uh, for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is yeah. great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and also, you know, if anyone out there wants to check out more stuff, I've got a brand new uh, website. Uh, chrisgreenmusic.com and uh, you know you can you can read all about the, um, the you know the meaning the, the, there's a digital booklet available that you can buy with the EP there and it has an explanation into each track on the album and you know how it was written and um, at the moment there's like a, a limited edition run of physical CDs that are all signed that you can buy on there as well I, I, I ordered one today you did? yes Good for you. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. That's great. Well, I, I really, really do appreciate the uh, the support, guys. It, it means a lot to me. Yes, absolutely. Well, there you go. Chris Green of Taiketo, Rubicon Cross, and of course, solo guitarist extraordinaire. We appreciate him taking the time out to do that, so thank you to him. Thank you to Chip from Chipster PR. Like I said earlier, 
you got to get yourself this uh, Unveil EP. You got to get yourself Taiketto's new album Reach, and you got to get yourself the Rubicon Cross album. We'll try it. Yeah, buy them all. Definitely. All this stuff's available on Amazon and iTunes, and you can buy the physical copies through the websites, of course, as well. He mentioned there at the end, you know, when we were talking about Steve Vai, that yeah. he uh, his first thought was to, you know, break his fingers and quit playing guitar, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, sure, Steve Vai is at the top of the list on the world's greatest guitarist, you know, right up there, but I don't think Chris Green has anything to complain about. No, he did At no, the level this man is at, you know. Go, go you, <laughs> watch some of his YouTube videos. He's uh, uh, extremely, extremely talented uh, and just, you know... He, proficient um just uh it's wizardry really is yeah well like i mentioned earlier chrisgreenmusic.com that's his website that's where you can pick up this new album do it our website is thethunderunderground.com we've got all our previous podcasts on there we've got some reviews up we're also on soundcloud.com backslash thunder underground we're on facebook youtube and on our YouTube channel, click subscribe because we're always putting up some reaction stuff now. We have a review of the new Metallic album, a review of the new Avenged Sevenfold album, a review of a Black Sabbath concert, a review of the Metallica singles when they were coming out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So get on there and be on the lookout for more stuff like that. Um, we're going to have a review soon of Jason's thoughts on what Floor Jansen said about Slayer. Oh, God, um, yeah. And she- then... <laughs> she don't give a fuck, does she? <laughs> oh, jeez. Hey, that's cool, though, you yeah. know. Hey, it it takes balls to say that. I, I love the woman. She's beautiful. She's got an amazing voice, and she's got balls. That's right. <laughs> that is right. Well, we're also on Twitter and Instagram and Periscope, which we don't use that often, but we do on occasion. So yes. you might see a Periscope from this show coming this weekend yeah. in Dallas. Speaking of the stuff we were talking about earlier, it's kind of in along that vein of the melodic rock. Yeah, we're going to see... Uh, yeah, go ahead. I know I was going to say it's called Hair Metal Christmas. Is yeah. that what the thing's called? At the Bomb Factory in Dallas. And we've got... Here, just... What do we got on that? Uh, there's uh, Pretty Boy Floyd. Tough. Um, Slaughter. King's X. Um, Kicks. Uh, I know there's a couple others I can't think of right now. Lynch Mob and Lillian Axe. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, uh, you so know. Speaking of guitarist extraordinary, we've got Steve Blaze. We've got George Lynch. Yes. I mean, that that's that's going to be a hell of a show. Yeah. Hell, hell, of a, hell of an afternoon, hell of an evening. And King's X right there in the middle of all those bands is kind of weird. But, they, yeah. Yeah, you know, they always kind of get thrown into these things. And yeah. they do it. They're, you know, they have no issue with playing them. And, yeah. You know, I'm greatly looking forward to that because we saw him open for Motley Crue in 94, right? Yeah. And then, you know, I saw Doug Pinnock in one of his side bands like five or six years ago, but I haven't seen King's X in over 20 years. But yeah, the, King's X at this show, that's kind of like, um, what is it, the, the starfish and the hot dog flavored water, is <laughs> to use a Limp Biscuit reference. Yeah. You'll like that. Yeah. But it's, it's, they're kind of the odd man out on that deal. So, yeah. But I mean, it's going to be a great show. I can't, I can't wait. Yeah. I'm sure you'll hear reviews from that. And oh, yeah, definitely. Maybe even a podcast or two if we're lucky. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. But speaking of that, you know, we talked about Chris Broderick earlier. 
We've had him on this podcast yeah. from Megadeth and Active Defiance. Yeah. We've had on guys from Great White and Europe and Warrant, Trickster, Bullet Boys. We've had on guys get heavier stuff, like uh, um, Chris mentioned in the episode, The Sword. We've had on yes, Kyle and, from The Sword. And, you know, fun fact, uh, yes, we did have on The Sword. Uh, Chris Green also mentioned uh, he likes Baroness, which is a band I have totally gotten into the last year or so. They kick yeah. ass. Just wanted to throw that in. The Purple Album's great. Yes, it is amazing. Yeah, we've had on guys from Crowbar. Well, obviously, guys, we've had on Kirk Winstein on this thing twice. Mm -hmm. And actually, two of the members of the band chimed in on that. We've had on guys from Drowning Pool, Soil, um, Scattered Hamlet, Wino from The Obsessed. Yes. Which, speaking of, they just had a new track drop recently. That was a great was song. Like great a re-recording of an older song, I think, but it was it's great. Yeah, badass. And they've got a new album coming in 2017, so that's definitely something to look forward to. Yep. We've had on uh, Eric Kluber from Ironaut, yeah. uh, Devin Micah, um, uh, 3D in Your Face. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've had, we've had some good ones. Yeah, and we get way out there with Ian Moore and Shooter Jennings. If you like just music, you know... We stick to the hard rock and metal, but if someone's we get a chance to get someone on that we're, you know, fans of, we definitely jump at the opportunity. Yeah, definitely. It doesn't have to be yeah. one certain thing. Paul Abdul will be on here next year whenever oh. she plays to be okay. God, I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. But, that, that means it's time to go. Yeah. Ninety-seven previous episodes. Soundcloud.com backslash Thunder Dash Underground. TheThunderUnderground.com and once again, ChrisGreenMusic.com where you can purchase a physical signed CD of Unveil or just get on iTunes or Amazon and pay for the thing. And I think it's five bucks for the, the digital tracks. Nice. Once again, thanks to Chris and thank you for listening. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. Thunder Underground.